Corinthians 13. This is where we were the last time I was with you. Um, a lot has happened since I saw you last. Uh, some obviously some very tense uh, situations around the planet, and um, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah, they're all kind of bad, aren't they? I'm sure that um, you've been praying um, for things in uh, Iran, and apparently North Korea has decided to have their own issues at the same time, and um, so we're all watching pretty closely. On the, uh, we we know it's warm in here, so we gave you a fan tonight on the way in. Um, it also has some announcements on it, but uh, if you um, want to make it into a fan, won't blame you. Uh, one of the bad things about renting space is that you just don't have much control over stuff like this. And uh, I know that you're probably having a tough time keeping your homes cool as it is because it's so hot. Then you come in this place where the, I just don't think they put big enough air conditioning units in, obviously. And so we've tried turning them on earlier and they just, they just won't get it done. And so we're exploring, exploring our options and stuff like that. And um, at this point, it's looking like it's just going to be warm. And so uh, I can only apologize so much, but I think everybody understands, and I appreciate your patience. And uh, we're going to keep looking into ideas. If any of you have connections with uh, air conditioning people who would maybe want to sneak over one day and take a look and see if, if what we can do, um, definitely let me know. That would be awesome. But So we gave you a fan on the way in uh, to make you more comfortable. It also has some announcements on it. One of the things that we're praying for, on the bottom you can tear it off, and we pray for something specific each day as a church, and one of the things we're praying for is what's going on in Iran. And, um, and then, I mean, it's obviously has, it's been a big week of uh, loss. Um, that, that's been on the news a lot, too. And, um, it's just, it's wild when you, uh, you know, you really don't, don't realize how much impact someone has culturally and uh, you know, personally and stuff, and when they're gone, I mean, you just, it kind of takes you back a little bit, and you start thinking about, you know, um, the first time, you know, you, you saw them, and the first time, you know, this, and all that, and it's weird, because it's, I don't really know, um, a lot of us don't know what life is like, you know, without um, Ed McMahon, and so, um, it's going to be a tough one, um, so we continue on, uh, Feel bad for Ed McMahon. I mean, he gets no love at all. It's all about uh, Billy Mays. Um, I mean, the economy is going to hurt between Billy Mays and Ed McMahon. There'll be no more magazines sold and no more samurai shark knife sharpeners. Uh, and I just want you to know, I bought a samurai shark knife sharpener a while back because Billy Mays sold it. Like he convinced me, and he's absolutely right. It, it really does work. Um, and then there's Farrah Fawcett and there's Michael Jackson. It's just it's been been crazy. Um, so given that all that has happened uh, since I saw you last, you may not recall 
what we talked about the last time I was here. We spent uh, a night looking in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, looking at 4 through 8, about love being patient and kind and not envying or boasting. It's not arrogant or rude. And, and, and we just kind of walked through those very slowly. And um, Not next Sunday, but the next Sunday, I'm going to start a, a series talking about spiritual gifts. And um, Paul, in this letter... He, he gets to talking about spiritual gifts and addressing some of the problems that are going on in the church in Corinth. And then he almost like calls time out. And he's like, look, you guys are missing the point because all these things without love are absolutely meaningless. And so he goes on this, he get, like, gets into this really like powerful chapter and then he picks it back up in the next chapter we're talking again about gifts. And so um, we're kind of laying this foundation before we jump into the series about it so that so that we have, so that we're building on the right thing. And so, um, I'm going to back up in the chapter, and we're going to do the first three verses uh, and kind of walk through those to see what it's all about. Um, and the the main idea that that I hope um, we walked away with uh, last time was that when it talks about how love is patient and love is kind, and it describes love, that all of those things are describing God. So you could take out love and put in God, and it describes him and the way that he relates to us. That God is patient, that God is kind, and that God does not keep a record of wrongs. And everything you go through, this is the way that God has loved us. These are specific ways of looking at his love. And so kind of what we talked about is, is that if, if those are, are ways that we are, are not loving other people, and we are not passing that love on, it's because we either don't understand or we've never taken the time to really invest our, our minds and our hearts into the way that God loved us that way. And so if, if you are not patient with people, kind of the takeaway was, okay, I'm not patient with others because I obviously don't understand in the, to the depths that I need the way that God is patient with me. And so the prayer is, God, I need to dig into the way that you patiently love me. And so we get into the Word, and we pray about it, and we explore it. And, and once we more understand His patience toward us, it's only natural, and it changes our perspective. And so then we become to the point where we deal patiently with other people. And every one of those things, that's, that's really where it comes from. Because if we really understood His patience, or His kindness, or all these things, then we would there would be no other way to live. And so, in a couple weeks, when we get into more detail about spiritual gifts, understanding that this is the foundation. And so that's what, what Paul gets into in uh, chapter 13. He, the last verse before 13 says, um, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. He says, all this talk about gifts and all these details about all these things, I'm going to show you the most excellent way that you can live, the most um, excellent way that you can pursue um, a, a life that, that looks like this. So let's, let's look at these three verses. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my, up my body to be burned, but have not love, 
I gain nothing. Um, I on my trip when I was gone, um, I had a, a good bit of, of flight time, but a good bit of time sitting in the airport. And so I was just going to grab a book uh, a couple of years ago for Pastor Appreciation. You guys just gave me all these books, and there's just a lot of them I've never read. And so I was kind of going through looking for one, and it was the I left on Thursday after we talked about this text. And there's a book that somebody gave me that it's called um, something about love. Uh, but um, the guy that wrote this book wrote the, the, the book, it's a book called Biblical Eldership. And it's like, I mean, it's like the manual for churches that are, um, are structured with an, an elder board. And so it's just so good. And so this same guy wrote it. And so I was like, hey, this would be good. And it's about leadership and whatever. And turns out like he unpacks 1 Corinthians 13 uh, from a leadership perspective, from a pastoral perspective. And so I was like, okay, you're obviously trying to tell me something. And so, um, so that's what I've been reading, kind of where I've been hanging out, and it just kind of all made sense. And then um, I was in Nashville, and Joe and Nicole and I went to eat at a place called the Loveless Cafe. I was like, okay, God, I got you, I got you, we're on the right track. Um, so what he's getting into is this lovelessness, which might not even be a word, but I'm going to use it a lot, so deal with it. Um, um, lovelessness, um, as opposed to people who live a life of love. Um, what Paul does in these three verses is he, um, in a very strategic way, addresses um, misconceptions and bad thinking that have just permeated this church. And so these aren't just like random examples he's thinking of. He's talking about spiritual gifts, specific mindsets, specific things that um, people are completely messing up. Y'all hear the wind? Tell you what. probably really going to help a lot, but um, it's going to keep the wind off of the mic. Um, so, okay, look at verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay? This statement would have greatly impressed the church in Corinth. All right? They had uh, big-time divisions and disorder that came from um, the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, I know some of you are looking forward to a series on spiritual gifts because you know that I'm going to have to talk about speaking in tongues, and that's like a fascinating thing for people who grew up Baptist, and it is a fascinating, in a sense, of like, I wonder how he's going to tackle this from people who didn't grow up Baptist. Um, and so when that happens, we'll get to it, and it'll all be fine. Um, and we'll just we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So in Corinth, um, they were incredibly amped about speaking in tongues. All right? If you look in, in Acts, um, you have all these people from all over the place come together for Pentecost. The Spirit comes, and people begin to worship God in a language that is not their own, but it is a language of somebody else. And so, um, it, and everybody gets freaked out, and so then they all get the Spirit, and they all go, they scatter out everywhere, and there's this supernatural gift of people praising the Lord in a different language than, the, than their native tongue, and it gets people's attention. And God uses this to get people's attention. So here's the church in Corinth, and it kind of had become one of like a status symbol. You can't speak in tongues? You must be JV, you know. Um, what's wrong with you? You just need to pray more. You need to whatever more. And it had, it had caused some serious division because like there are some churches who 
like if you, someone told you you were JV because you couldn't do something, I mean, you'd just, you'd just dismiss them. It wouldn't bother you at all. And there are other churches where, like, you would all of a sudden get incredibly insecure, and you would think that that person is holy and you are not holy and they're better than you and all this kind of stuff. So you have the division that was going on in this church, but then you have, it just caused great disorder because they would be together, maybe they would be singing, someone would start praying out loud in tongues, and everybody else is like, I don't, I don't know what that language is, it doesn't make sense to me, and, and, and so it was just disrupting their times of worship, and, and so you just have all this disorder and all this division. And so Paul says, look, if, if I could speak in the tongues of men, okay, and of angels, okay, heavenly language, earthly language, if I could do both of those, sort of saying like if I was the ultimate at that, but I didn't have love, it'd be like a clanging cymbal or a, a gong, uh, what he says, uh, yeah, a noisy gong. And so I started thinking about that. And we have symbols over here, and if I really wanted to illustrate a point, I could probably, you know, whatever, but if Brandon was sitting over here behind the drums, and there's this symbol, I don't think he has it up tonight, it's called a china boy, instead of being like, like kind of flat, it kind of has like ridges to it, and it produces this very unique sound that is cool at times, but kind of annoying, and, and so I was thinking in my head, like, what if I just had Brandon sit back there and just crank on this china boy symbol over and over and over again for like 30 minutes? That would be awesome. Uh, and so when he says it's clanging or that it's noisy, it makes sense. But what would really happen is if he's cranking on that China boy and I'm trying to teach from the biblical text, it would just distract everybody. You don't have enough focus. You aren't spiritual enough to zero in enough to get over that symbol clanging in the background. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, look, if, if you, you have this gift... A gift is, me is meant to build the church. It's meant to glorify God. It's meant to unify the body. But what y'all are doing, because you don't love each other, you don't understand what the function of the gift is, you don't understand that God has manifested his, himself in your life in this way, because you don't love people enough, you just want to show off your gift. So you are distracting everybody from the greater point just like Brandon would be distracting you from the text. So he kind of punches him in the gut. In a roundabout way, he's saying, you're bringing attention to yourself, which is not the point of the gift. To truly use spiritual gifts, it's all about pointing to the Lord and the church being built and unified through that. So he calls him to the table and he says, look, I could, be the, I could speak in every language heavenly languages and earthly languages. And if I didn't love you, if I didn't love people, if I didn't love the Lord, it would be the most distracting thing ever. And that's what you're doing. That's what has permeated your church, is this great distraction that is empty. And notice he says, um, but if I speak that way but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He doesn't say, then my speech is a noisy gong or... Um, those utterances, he says, I am. He says, my function within the body is empty and useless and distracting. Now, we may sit here and say, okay, well, I mean, nobody's jumping up, blurting out something in another language in the middle of our services, so we don't really have that issue. 
We come from uh, Baptist heritage, and so that's not talked about as much, and so that's not like a big risk. And so we could easily toss this verse out, but that would, that would be missing the point. Because while this is specific to the church in Corinth, we draw the same principles out of it. That whenever we get into this series on spiritual gifts and whatever, whatever God does in those weeks and whatever, whatever happens, the same lesson applies to all of them. If you have a community group leader or an elder or a ministry team leader or staff member or whatever, if, if those people are serving in those ways um, because they're, you know, they're gifted as teachers or administrators or whatever, um, but if love is not a part of that, then they are distracting everybody else from what we're trying to accomplish. You take our elders, who the church is praying for on Wednesday. We meet this Wednesday. There's seven of us. If we serve in that capacity because we like to like be in charge and make decisions and whatever, then we're leading this church down the wrong path. If we do it because we love Jesus and we love you and we love what he's doing here among us, then we're not distracting, hopefully. So that applies whether it's a leadership discussion or to discussion about spiritual gifts. Um, anything. But then he goes on, and he kind of adds to that, verse 2. says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... All right, we'll stop right there. So prophetic powers, all mysteries, all knowledge. Okay? So here he's talking about prophecy. He's also talking about knowledge. Okay, these are also gifts. You're saying, so I could, know, I could know everything, every theological question, every possible topic that could come up, um, everything about the scriptures and all this kind of stuff. I could understand prophecy. I could tell you about revelation and how it's all going to go down and all this kind of stuff. So you could have all the answers, and unless you love, it doesn't mean anything. See, some people like to display that they have all the answers. Ever been around somebody who you're in community group and the person asks, the leader, like, ask a question, you know, and hopefully they're not, like, the next question is, what do you, hopefully they're not doing like that, but they throw the question out there, and, and it's one of those questions that's meant to be, like, contemplated a little bit and whatever. You have that person that just, they answer first every time, and they want to go into this thing because, you know, they have all this knowledge because they grew up in a real biblical church, or they had a really good pastor, a really good youth minister, or, or they memorized Philippians, or, you know, like, there's just something about them, and they under, they know what Calvinism is, and why it's the devil, and they, you know, they know all this stuff, and, and, it, and there's never a question that they would just say, you know what, I just have no idea, no, no clue. They always know, always know. Some people are just like sponges when it comes to just knowledge, you know. And it's like there's two kinds of people. There's like, there are the people who are sponges that way, and you, they have the wisdom enough to know when it's time to share and stuff, and then there are people who, they look for every opportunity to tell you exactly how much they know. That's what was going on in Corinth. You had these scholars who were there, and they liked to show off everything, and they wanted recognition for that because they understood, they understand what faith is about, and they understand how God works, and they understand the prophecies, and they understand all this stuff. They wanted to be the big dogs in the church. And what happens oftentimes is you have those people, and then you have everybody else, and so you end up feeling inferior because you're like, I have no idea what dispensationalism is, and... Um, I probably should, so I guess I'm not very spiritual and whatever. And first of all, it's fine. It's just a big word. 
They're just things that just like some people need to know and some people don't need to know. And really, there's just books where you can say, I don't really know the answer, but I'll find out. I'm teaching the apologetics, like the defending the faith group this summer, and there's so many things where it's like, I don't know, I'll, I'll see what I can find out. I should probably know the answer, but I don't. We talked about how it's perfectly fine when someone comes at you about something about Christianity. It's perfectly fine to say, I, you're, that's a good question. Uh, I'll see what I can find out. Perfectly fine to do that. And so knowledge, knowledge is fine, but knowledge without love, uh, one of the quotes in the book says, loveless knowledge um, inflates the ego and deceives the mind. That all this knowledge without a loving way to apply it and share it and all that stuff doesn't mean anything. It was prideful. It led to arrogance. It led to judgment of people who don't know as much or judgment of people who really just don't know as much, judging them, judging the people who are all smart, stuff like that. Make fun of people who have different views. Um, you just have this real, like, pompous way of dealing with people. And, um, you know, it's funny because we were uh, at the convention this past week, the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, so you have the, the Southern Baptist Convention has a convention. Okay? Um, they call it their annual meeting, but there's too many. It's just real confusing. So you have, like, 9,000 Baptists in this room, all right? Mostly pastors and, like, missionaries and stuff from all over the place. 9,000 in this room. And we get 120 of their teenagers in the room right next door. Pretty smart. And uh, so anyway, um, we're, we're doing camp, basically, with the kids. So we're doing small groups and big groups and worship and rec and all this, all this stuff with them. And um, while next door, they're you have this room that's full of people with similar giftings. Room full of teachers, room full of uh, administrators, room full of knowledge, room full of seminary degrees, room full of people calling the shots in a lot of ways in a lot of churches. And it was weird because we would like, we'd find out after their meetings, they'd like publish like all the things that were decided and so we're reading some of them, you know. And so it was weird because it's like, okay, we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there with 10 7th and 8th grade kids. Every one of them's dad is a preacher. Every one of them has lived in at least four different cities. Um, every one of them scared to death about the future, scared to death to make friends where they are, um, scared to death because they live in a fishbowl, and they don't know how to handle that. And their dads are next door deciding whether or not to boycott Pepsi or whether or not it's okay to have secular music in video promos, you know. And, and it was so weird because I was... I've been digging into this text and this book and just thinking like, man, they just don't get it in that room. It's like this is where this is where the ministry's happening, you know. I kind of went through that. And I started thinking that attitude is exactly what this verse is coming against. Me sitting there thinking that I have it all figured out and that they don't have it all figured out. See, that is loveless knowledge on my part. It inflated my ego and it deceived my mind. That's, that's what it looks like. Anytime you hear a Christian say, man, people just don't get it. I wish our church would get it. I wish our community group would get it. I wish, you know, I wish, I mean, or our church gets it. I wish 
this other church would get it or our church is the ultimate and you need to not go to that church because that's lame because I go to this church and it's whatever and it's like that's loveless knowledge at work so he's saying you can have it all figured out if you don't love people it's nothing it's meaningless it's distracting so there's a little confession to you of my experience with the Southern Baptist Convention. Look at the next part. Um, it says, if I have all knowledge and all mysteries and prophetic powers, he says in verse 2, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. All right? You're talking about a spiritual powerhouse. All right? Faith, spiritual gift. Some people just have it. They, they take risks. You know, they're the ones who, I mean, like it's, they do the craziest stuff ever. They're like, you just got to trust the Lord. You got to trust him. You got to trust him. Watch this. We'll step out and trust him. They're the people who read the story about David and Goliath, and they're like, yeah, why wouldn't David charge a Goliath? What's there to lose? I mean, God's on his side, so, I mean, whatever. And the rest of us are like, that dude is tall and going to kill you. You have rocks and a sling. So he's saying, like, if I have all this faith, if I'm a, one, like a spiritual powerhouse, is how this book describes it. If you are just one of those rocks in the church, if you have that and you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. Because without love, those risks glorify yourself. See, David charged at Goliath because he loved God and didn't want to see the name of God defamed and refused to let Israel like, be embarrassed. David didn't love God and didn't love, if all that love wasn't there, then him charging at Goliath was just all about him. And so some people, you can take risks in the faith without love and it ends up being, you're just dumb. You're just risky. I think about us, us coming here to the, to the BCM a year ago when we left Parkview and we came here in this place that we kind of helped put together a little bit and we get here, and it's really hot, you know, and it's really whatever. And we had plenty of time to pray it through and all this kind of stuff. That was a big risk. Like, it took a lot of faith for us to do that. But that faith was based on the fact that we love Jesus, and we believe he's called us to minister in specific and general ways in this city, and we believe that he was bringing us to this corner on purpose for us to love anybody that comes through here and this whole surrounding area, and we need to figure out how we're going to do that. Because we love the Lord and we love people. But it was really possible for us to move, make this move and it had nothing to do with love. We could have made this move and been like, well, I mean, where else are we going to go? I guess we'll go there and we'll see. People are always like, What's the, where are y'all going to go next? What's the future hold? I'm like, I don't know. We're still trying to learn how to love the people that live around here. We're still trying to figure out how to function in a way that, like, how do you, you know, how do you do this? We're still trying to figure it out. And in your life, you can take those risks. You can, you can um, leave one job and go for another one, and you can do it out of love for God and obedience, or you can do it because you just kind of want to. And one brings glory to God, one brings glory to yourself. And Paul's saying, look, you guys are spiritual powerhouses. You can do it in a way that strokes your ego if you do it without love. Next one he says, um, verse 3, if I give away all that I have, 
all right? If I give away everything I have. Now this, you would think, you're like, you don't do this without love. Every possession, all right? House, stuff, money, everything. You take a vow of poverty, all right? Now this, too, would, would greatly impress the church in Corinth because, I mean, that's, that's your holy people, right? I mean, Mother Teresa, like, you're like, wow, she's really spiritual. Shane Claiborne, like, that dude, wow, loves God. If you don't know who he is, you need to get his books because he does love God. But we're like, man, that is, that's what it, that's what it looks like. You can do that stuff without love. You can give away your stuff and not love. And this is how I know it. Let's assume, I'm going to assume just for one second, that everybody in here puts money in the offering plate back there, okay, at some point. Let's assume it's on a, on a consistent basis. So you really, you really believe that God entrusts you with money to meet your needs and to meet the needs of other people. And so you, you that's a part of how you budget, and, and that's a part of whatever. And so... Consistently, you put money in the bucket back there. Have you ever done that in a way that did not, that, in a way that was not loving? Have you ever done that not out of your love for the Lord and what He's doing through our church and the desire to see those that financial whatever go to help people and serve people and bring glory to Him? Have you ever ever put it back there because um, it's what you do on the first Sunday after a pay period? Have you ever done it out of routine? You ever done it out of guilt? Sure, we all have. It's okay. We've all been there. It is possible to give away your stuff and it not be about love. This past Christmas, we did Advent Conspiracy, and it was all about anti-materialism and, and taking care of people and just Christmas being what about Christmas is really about. It was awesome completely possible to participate in that whole deal at Christmas and have it not at all be about love. So there's, there's something trendy about giving to World Vision and there's something trendy about all this kind of stuff that sometimes we can buy into. So Paul's saying is like, look, you can, you can give away all your stuff. It doesn't mean that you're doing it because you love people. Maybe you're doing it because you'd like to be the one writing the big check. Maybe you, maybe you like the trend. If there's not love in it, it means nothing. It is empty. Look at the last one. So if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, is there anything more ultimate than being a martyr, like a true martyr? That is the ultimate hero of the faith, isn't it? You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you hear about people being tortured because of their faith and burned alive because of their faith, and and you have modern examples. You look at, at Jim Elliott, you know, and some of these people who um, stepping out in obedience cost them their life. And you're like, that is, that is the ultimate. And Paul's saying, look, you can offer up your body. You can say, you can kill me because of my faith. He says, you can even do that without love. Because in that day, you, you, if you were a martyr, you were a legend. You were completely famous. We may look at that and say, oh, I don't know, I don't know how that would really apply. Maybe it would never have to. So he goes through and he picks these issues and he puts a qualifier to them. He says, all these things that you 
put so much value in that are dividing your church and are killing you, they're killing you because it's not about love, it's about you. Because love is patient and kind. It does not boast, it does not envy. So he flips it upside down. Says you got your your spiritual gifts, your faith, your giving, your willingness to be a martyr. It needs to look like patience and look like kindness, and it doesn't need to be arrogant and it doesn't need to keep a record of wrongs. It needs to always um, bring hope and always endure. It needs to never ever fail. Huge teaching, absolutely huge. And so here's the takeaway for us, and we're going to end tonight just differently than normal because we're not going to do any music. And for some, I mean, that's going to be kind of weird, but that's just how we're, I think we're supposed to do it. And so um, here's the takeaway. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do when you realize that there's a huge, that you, when you realize that you are living lovelessly in some areas of your life. We talked last time about digging more into how God relates to you that way, and that is significant. So here, here's, what I, here's the takeaway. I want you, between now and next week, to begin to ask God to show you where in your life love is missing, where love is coming up short. Where are you a distracting China boy symbol? One of the things I like about the New Testament is you, you don't see... Um, you know, nine, ten times through, I surrender all after they would preach. They would preach, and people either, they'd take it or leave it. There's no emotional manipulation. There's no, you know, every head bowed, every eye closed. Raise your hand if you're ashamed to admit that you need help, you know. None of that. Uh, This is the truth. If you don't want it, then whatever. If you want it, let's talk. And so that's kind of how we're going to end tonight. Now let me, let me throw one word of caution in first. All right? And I, prom- I know you're tired. I know it's hot. And we're almost done. One word of caution would be this. In our culture, um, we have the, kind of this all or, or nothing approach to stuff. So, so let's, say, let's say that, and I'll pick on giving, and some of you are going to think it's just because it's about money and I want to get money in the offering plate. The only reason I ever want to get money in the offering plate is because the more money goes back there, the more money goes out there, okay? Um, but I'm going to pick on that one because I think that's the one people are going to want to jump on the most. A misinterpretation of this text would be this. Okay, well, until I love and until I'm rightly motivated, I shouldn't give. Or... Until I love the Lord more, I'm not going to step out in faith. I'm not going to risk anything. Or until I love him 100%, I'm not going to offer to be a martyr. <laughs> that would be interpreting it wrong, but that would be interpreting, interpreting it the way that our society thinks. We live in an in, in all or nothing time, and we think, if you do something and you're not sincere about it, then you're wrong and you did not do it. And I don't think that that's biblical at all. When you come in this room, you may not love Jesus very much, but I think we start singing the songs anyway. 
Eugene Peterson says it, it's, it's easier, more likely, more probable, more going to happen. It's easier for you to act your way into a different way of feeling than to feel your way into a different way of acting. So I think what this text is, is saying, he's not saying, okay, so you need to stop giving, stop stepping out in faith, stop using your gifts, stop doing all that. What he's saying is you need to keep doing it, but you've got to bring love into it. How do you add love to what you're already doing? Okay? So don't go with this society, societal idea and just pull back completely. You keep forward, you keep going forward, you keep doing those things. You say, okay, love is missing from this in my life somehow. I need to figure out how to change that. And so between now and next week, and not, not that next week is going to be the fix-all, but we're going to talk about it more. If you're serious, this is not a game to you, then pray that prayer. God, show me where, where is love coming up short in my life. How are we going to fix it? All right? Awesome. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for tonight. Um, thanks for giving us a place to gather even though it's warm and whatever, um, is a gift from you that we can be here at all. And um, we thank you that of the many things that were forgiven on the cross, living lovelessly is one of those things. God, I know that every one of us can love more and more deeply and more consistently and more accurately we can all be better reflections of you than we are now we believe God that's a part of you taking our lives and transforming us to make us look more like you and so we're trusting God that as we ask that you will guide and empower and then we step out in faith and you change and so God um, I pray that we'll take this seriously and that you will um, continue what you've started and we know that you're faithful to do that we love you and thank you and pray all this in Jesus name amen all right look thanks for uh, putting up with the heat let me just tell you a few things before we go um, on the bottom of that sheet the tear-off deal um, Alex Wright is the summer missionary that we're praying for this week. Alex uh, is in Kenya, and he, is, uh, he went with the team to basically set up uh, for a group from Sky Ranch to come in and do like three weeks of camp uh, for free for all these kids that live there. And so he's a part of like the, the setup crew to kind of get everything ready. And so uh, he's one of our college students, and he's awesome. And so that's who we're praying for this week. Um, our summer community groups, the second round starts this week. All right, you can look on that sheet. You can see what nights they have what. Um, if you don't know where you're supposed to go or you're confused about the whole thing, at the table out there, they have lists of every group, and then there's a master list, and you can find out where you're supposed to go and the addresses and stuff and uh, all that. So if you have been kind of kicking around the idea of jumping in a group, this is literally the perfect time. It's only like a three-week commitment and uh, pretty good on the low committal scale. So, um, so that's going on and uh, all that stuff. So I hope you all have a great week and I love you very much. Hopefully I'll see you next week. See you later. Bye.